Wholesaling Hero, hosted by real estate veteran Tom Didion. Each week, we break down today's ultra-hot home seller's market and give you the tips, tricks, and guidance to navigate the selling process and get the most out of selling your home. Proudly presented by the Tom Didion team. Let's jump in. All right, greetings and moyen, everybody. Thanks for coming back to the Home Selling Hero podcast. I am, as always, your host, Tom Didier. And today's topic is a little bit um, a little bit different. We're going to do a topic on divorce. And no, this is not a legal podcast and it's not a divorce podcast, but real estate is what we do. And the reason I came up with this potential topic for today is because everyone's asking us, as realtors right now, like, well, nobody's selling. Who is selling? And recently, we went back and looked at our sales portfolio for the last 12 months, and we started looking back and saying, okay, why did all these people sell? And we were stunned to see how many of those transactions we've done in the last 12 months have been due to either death or divorce, uh, estate sales or somebody separating. And I've got a lot of experience in it in terms of um, helping couples sell their house while they go through a divorce. And I've seen some really, really happy endings and I've seen some not so happy endings. Um, but it's it's relevant, I think, to the time, you know, the market that we're in right now. So my guest today is attorney Brian Harrow. And he doesn't do just divorce. He does everything. He's a, I would say you are a very well-known and popular attorney in our area. Tell my listeners who you are and what you do. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on here today. I am a solo practitioner. I'm from uh, Grafton, uh, so I've been born and bred here in Ozaki County. Uh, my main areas of practice uh, have been criminal defense and a lot of family law. Uh, so I have a pretty good uh, expertise in that area. Practice statewide, uh, but as I've uh, gotten into my 20th year, gotten more, I'd say, spoiled. That's what I, I tell uh clients and family where I like to stay closer to home with my practice. You're old enough to be very experienced and good at what you do now, so that's good. I want this to be a really good resource for our listeners to have an understanding of how their real estate might shake out. And I do understand that every divorce is different and it's not there's no blueprint for how everything's gonna gonna work out. But a lot of my clients, you know, the good stories are the ones where that divorced people use the equity in real estate to really be a foundation for an awesome new start. So that's those are the great divorces where you know there's tons of equity and it's just a matter of splitting up that equity and it's a, it's a great start. But my first question for you is to summarize in Wisconsin how the court looks at real estate in terms of a divorce. So the the court's going to look at real estate as far as property division, overall property division your real estate, so it could be your, your residence, it could be land, uh, property can also include personal property. So clothing, it could include uh, collectibles, uh, anything that is tangible, anything you can touch. So the court's gonna look at real estate uh, specifically. In the state of Wisconsin, there's that presumption of that uh, the property is equally shared. So that's where the court is going to start is let's look at what the property is, uh, presume, presume that they both of the parties own it. And then there's uh, various steps that they can take afterwards. Uh, for example, parties might have a premarital agreement where they enter into a contract which identifies prior to uh, getting married that certain property is their own individual property and that property wouldn't be uh, divisible in a divorce. 
also the court can look at the property. There's lots of times where you'll have parties that are getting divorced and uh, one of the properties brings that property into the marriage and it's solely in their name. They get married and then the court has to decide, you know, is that their personal property prior to the marriage or again, you know, based on Wisconsin where it's that presumption that that is joint property uh, for both parties. The court will look at it as it should it be part of the marital estate. So they can look at that and various other factors. There's going to be other property division uh, support. All those factors can factor in as far as what the court may or may not do with that property. Uh, another piece that often comes up is is where you have a party that, let's say they bought that property a year or two before they got married. Now they get married, they're paying the mortgage on it, treating it as joint property. What do you do in that scenario? So a lot of times uh, you'll, you'll look at that, see how it's treated. And if it's uh, something where the parties have been treating that way, and let's say they've been in that property for 15 years, more likely than not, the court's going to treat that as, as marital property and uh, are going to divide that uh, similar to in, in equal, equal shared fashion. Uh, I've also seen cases where you have someone who owns a property. Let's say they've owned it for 10 years. They get married and they're married only three or four years. Uh, I've seen the courts look at that where they look at, okay, this person bought the property for X amount of dollars. Uh, what's it worth now? Well, that's a really hard question to ask, and it's hard to get the answer based on the fluctuation, as you know, yeah. in the real estate markets. So a lot of times uh, what the court may do is they'll look at, try to get an appraisal, a backdated appraisal, uh, one that they had previously, or uh, look at the tax bill, which in the court sense, they they usually aren't going to look at the real estate tax bill as the value. They're going to yeah. rely on an appraisal being done. Uh, but they'll uh, a lot of times they'll look at what was the value 10 years ago and what has been the increased value now and maybe use that equity in, in dividing as to what should be awarded to the other spouse. So it sounds like the something that is taken into consideration, the court will consider the length of time that one person owned that property. That'll be a, a deciding factor in most cases, correct? Yes, that, that will be one of the factors that the court will consider. And then the other thing I would say regarding the appraisal, which I hadn't actually thought of that prior to this, is that, yeah, I've, it's been my experience in helping a couple either buy or sell a, a house that's going through this, is that the the appraisals, and I always said, we, we, you know, we have an in-house appraisal firm we have here since the 1950s, is one appraisal is one man or woman's opinion, nothing more. It is not the word of God. It is not, it's supposed to be as scientific as possible, but it is one person's opinion based on the comps they use. So you can get three appraisals for one property and three pretty different numbers. I mean, hopefully within range, but I'm sure you've seen pretty wide ranges also. What I do and, and most attorneys do is they will talk to the other attorney and decide on an appraiser. Uh, get that appraisal done, and uh, typically the parties will split that cost. If one of the parties doesn't like the end result of that appraisal, then they have the right to go get a second appraisal. Uh, usually it would be at their own cost, and 
If the other party doesn't like that appraisal, you can get a third appraisal. And then typically uh, what'll happen is if it's a contested issue to the court regarding what the valuation is, uh, you'll have those uh, appraisers come to court, uh, they'll testify and the court will weigh uh, each appraisal and ultimately determine uh, what the court feels the value of the property is. Have a house to sell, but not sure who to trust when it comes to getting the best deal and leveraging the current market? Trust the experts at the Tom Didier team. With over a quarter century of selling Milwaukee, Tom and his team of real estate experts are here to ensure that you get every penny you deserve out of selling your home. No matter where you live in the dairy state, Put one of Wisconsin's top real estate teams to work for you in selling your home and making the most of your real estate investment. Looking to buy a house instead? Tom and his team have you covered here as well, helping you craft and perfect the offer on your dream home. Visit SellingMilwaukee.com to find out how much your home could be worth and connect with the team to make your next real estate transaction a dream. Now, back to the show. You mentioned that you can get this third appraisal. Is there a limit on that? Does the court have a limit on how many appraisals can be ordered? I mean, can you have 10? I, I suppose you could have 10. I'm, I've never seen anything go past three. Okay. And I think uh, most litigants that are in Ozaki County realize that uh, it's an expectation. And this is Washington County and Milwaukee County and generally all counties is you have to be reasonable with the requests. Okay. Uh, well, that's a great segue to my next question because you just used the words Ozaki County, Washington County, and Milwaukee County. So, if I understand correctly, you know the state of Wisconsin we're using their laws, but the county in which you file can have different rules as it pertains. Correct? It can. Uh, sometimes there might be more emphasis on the appraisals or on the tax bill. Also, uh, there could be more emphasis on. If the parties, if both parties want the property, uh, some courts are going to say, well, uh, we're just going to have to sell it uh, if you both want it. Uh, or if uh, one wants it, you know, the court might determine uh, who's a better fit for that property based on their finances, based on if there's minor children mm -hmm. involved. Uh, so it can go, it really can go county to county. It can go judge to judge. Okay. So that's the, the complex part as well when you're dealing with real estate in a divorce context is uh, although the laws are what the laws are, interpretation of the laws and how different judges view what they feel are the more relevant factors, that can change uh, from one courtroom to the next. Okay. I remember in the late 90s, and I don't, maybe you weren't practicing just yet, I remember, if, I, if memory serves correctly, that in Ozaki County, if you filed for divorce, there was a longer waiting period because Ozaki County had a court-required um, counseling requirement where you had both parties, regardless if you were the one you know, serving or being served, had to participate in counseling before the thing could even be forward. Is that, that's no longer the case, and have you heard of that? Because I, I think I'm correct in that there used to be a counseling requirement by Ozaki County, not the surrounding counties. So there is a counseling, there's no financial counseling requirement. Uh, there is a requirement uh, if there is custody and placement issues. So if there's minor children involved, hmm. uh, both parties pursuant to statute, and it's actually 
uh, a rule that Ozaki County follows where they have to complete a parenting class. Hmm. Uh, there are some times where, you know, the attorneys and the litigants uh, forget that piece of it or don't get that done right away. And the parties can complete that after they're divorced. But since I've been practicing, that has not been a requirement where it would hold up the divorce. Okay. Uh, again, because it would only affect uh, custody and placement pieces involving minor children. Uh, typically, the court, especially real estate, I mean, real estate is usually the party's biggest asset uh, in most divorces. So typically, the courts like to see that real estate piece uh, get resolved early. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that part is done. And then if there are minor children, uh, the parties can figure out, you know, where they're moving to or what they're doing uh, for housing after that. All right. So next prospective buyer comes to us. They say, we want to look at this house. Um, as realtors, we have to do our due diligence and a little bit of pre-qualification, not that it's just open door policy for anybody. And I say, all right, give me a little bit about your background. You know, why are we looking yada, yada? And they'll say, oh, well, I'm going through a divorce. I say, oh, okay, well, you know, are you going through a divorce or are you divorced? Because I've always said you're either married or you're divorced. You're never actually in between. You're always married until you're not. And uh, I will usually say, hey, have you talked to your attorney and told him you're looking at houses? And he said, no. And I'll usually say, let's not, let's put this on hold, pump the brakes, talk to your attorney and find out if you should be doing this. Nine out of 10 times they call me back and say, oh, shit, I had no idea I'm not supposed to be looking at houses. Yeah, my attorney told me that if I enter into a contract, the house that I want to look at is going to be half, you know, hers or his um, anyway. So my question to you for the attorney is when a couple is in that middle of a divorce, they filed and you're in somewhere in the middle stages, is it possible for one or either party to enter into a new contract and purchase a new home prior to completion of the divorce? It is possible. Uh, typically, what I would recommend, or absolutely what I would recommend, is if that's the case, you would have uh, the parties enter into what's called a partial marital settlement agreement as to real estate. Uh, what that would do is it would allow the party to purchase that real estate. Uh, in the agreement, it would indicate that that property is their sole property. They're solely responsible for the debts. And then that way that party is uh, protected to a certain degree, which a uh, certain degree, what that means is even though there's that partial marital settlement agreement, uh, that marital settlement agreement isn't final until there is that judgment of divorce. Uh, along with that partial marital settlement agreement, we do send in an order where the judge will sign off on that, indicating that this is an order. This is going to be incorporated into the final divorce action. I've never had a problem or seen a problem where someone tried to back out on that later, but absolutely that's what I would recommend is uh, parties get that partial marital settlement agreement uh, done. And you even discuss that before you start looking at houses, talk to your soon to be ex and the lawyers involved uh, to make sure that that's a possibility because as you're aware as well, you have financing issues, right? right? So there's debt out there. Who's going to be responsible for that debt? Uh, most banks don't like to do anything until that divorce is final. 
so typically I, I don't run into it too much. Usually if there's parties that have uh, substantial assets uh, or income where they can pull that off, but otherwise it's pretty rare uh, where you run into that scenario. But absolutely you have to um, make sure that all your I's are dotted and T's are crossed yep. before you enter into any sort of contract. So I've been given the right advice, and it's always been, we're not looking at anything until you talk to your attorney. And your attorney, if they're representing you properly, they will make you get something signed by the other party, basically giving you permission or an agreement that, yeah, this is outside of the, the soon-to-be divorce. So, yeah, the answer is yes, you absolutely can. With financing, if there's if you don't need that equity first, uh, if you do need the equity first, obviously we got to get you the closing table to grab your equity. All right, so let's move into a real popular um, real-life scenario. I think average home price in Ozaki is probably around 400000 So we've got a couple, um, no kids. Uh, they own a house that is worth $400,000. They have a mortgage of $200,000. So they got 200000 equity, and they're going to get divorced. Is this going to be as simple, or can it be as simple as it sounds, like there's going to be 200000 at closing and the court's going to agree to split it right down the middle if they're getting along? Typically, but you also will have to take into consideration the other assets. So for this example, let's say this is their only asset. There's no retirement accounts, uh, no other property. Uh, yes, the court's going to look at that. They start with a presumption that that should be a 50-50 split uh, after 50-50 uh, split of the net proceeds. Okay. However, if there's, let's say there's a retirement account involved, well, then the courts might look at that differently, where if someone's keeping their retirement account, the other party might keep more of the cash. I've heard that in divorce, the courts use a term called long-term marriage. And I don't know, is that a, is that a legal term, long-term marriage? And is that five years, 10 years, 20 years? Is that defined by a, a number of years? And how does that, if at all, relate to real estate? Does that Will the court consider the division of real estate based on how long the marriage was? So the court can determine the division of real estate based on how long the marriage is. Long-term marriage, uh, it can be different from county to county, judge to judge. Uh, normally, Ozaki County, you're looking at a long-term marriage being on average 25 years or more. Uh, I've seen it between 20 and 25 uh, typically, that's going to have more of an effect on spousal support or maintenance as far as one uh, party paying the other party support based on the length of the marriage. I haven't seen real estate get involved too much with that, but it can be a consideration of the court as far as the overall property division. So I, I suppose you could look at a case where if the parties have been married 25 years and uh, they've been in that residence that long, uh, I, I don't think it has really a, a specific effect. I think it, I think it's pretty clean with real estate where it's the run of the mill. If it's uh, a marriage that's say 15 years or longer or 10 years or longer and the parties purchased the house together and they took the mortgage out together, that uh, it's typically pretty clean regarding what the court's going to do. And that would usually mean it's going to be an, an equal split of that asset or give consideration to that equal split. Okay. Uh, next question. What is a common law marriage? So common law marriage, uh, 
the, the court, it's not necessarily recognized in Wisconsin, common law marriage. I believe like California, common law marriage. Uh, so typically uh, in other jurisdictions, the common law marriage would be where two parties are living together, uh, but they haven't gone through that formality of marriage. So they'll be living together. They purchase real estate together. Uh, they share assets together. Uh, so typically, that wouldn't be a divorce filing. Uh, a lot of times what you see is where you have, let's say, uh, a couples together. Let's say they're, to, they're together for 15 years. They buy real estate together. They have other personal property together. Uh, what the parties would have to do uh, in order to determine legal rights to the property is they would have to file what's called a partition action. So that would be a civil action that's filed with the court. And basically the court will decide who keeps the property, is the property gonna be sold? What's the makeup of the property? Uh, so it's, it's a different procedure versus a divorce when uh, dealing with real estate in that fashion. Okay. You handle a divorce, I'm guessing much like when we handle a couple going through divorce, have to wear a couple of different hats in terms of beyond our job. You know, the, the counseling aspect, I'm not a trained counselor at all, but I will say I'm much better versed and experienced in explaining things to a couple that's either about to go through a divorce or in the middle of a divorce. Do you have to wear a few different hats in your business um, being the attorney for one party? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, counseling goes hand in hand with, you know, being an attorney and also, you got to take off that hat at times and just be a human being right, right. and a good person and try to take the emotion out of things. So, yeah, there's definitely multiple different hats. There's the hat as if you're a parent. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, you know, that, that piece definitely comes into play where you're able to read your clients and there's a time to give that tough love, but there's also that time to you know, sit back a little bit and give a little grace because uh, it's uh, going through a divorce and dealing with property and especially when there's kids involved or property that has been in a family for years. Uh, it gets very emotional mm -hmm. and it's very hard to uh, have a party that, you know, say they have that piece of property and they have to sell it because they can't afford it or the other party is going to retain yeah. it. Well, good segue to my next question, which is um, kind of the opposite. I'll go back to like 2006 to 2011 when there wasn't a ton of equity in homes, or at least this is what I saw for the people that were you know, going through a divorce. How does the court look at debt beyond the value? So let's say we've got that $400,000 house and a couple is going to divorce, but they owe the bank $500,000. How is the court going to treat the uh, the debt on real estate um, when that debt exceeds the value? Yeah, so typically what the court will look at is it's it's a debt. And uh, again, they'll have to go through the different statutory factors and uh, look at that. But typically that's going to be a debt that would be shared equally. I know back then what a lot of attorneys did and I haven't had to do this in many years now is basically when we look at a property that was upside down, we would approach the bank or the lender and uh, offer a deed in lieu of foreclosure. So basically just give the property back, uh, they forgive the debt, and then the parties are able to move on. 
A lot more bankruptcies were prevalent back then as well. So basically, we, you'd tell the lender that, hey, they're going to go bankrupt. Do you want to go through that process or do you just want to take the house back? Yeah, I don't foresee, at least not in the immediate future, that happening because the the banks, in my opinion, are in such a good position. It's complete opposite in terms of lending standards. You know, yeah, in 2004, you didn't need a job. You just needed to sign a piece of paper that's very different. People are coming to the table with, you know, adequate down payments and equity has been growing. So I'm hoping everyone's sitting in a good position and that won't be, we won't go through that deed in lieu of again. In real estate school, when we were learning about trust accounts, and this is, in the, again, in the 90s, they used uh, a story, a real-life story about this guy that was going through a divorce, and he was going all over, not even just the state of Wisconsin, he was going all over the Midwest looking at properties, writing pretty low offers that he knew would not get accepted, but he wrote really big earnest money checks with them. So he was putting down ten grand with the offer, which we have to take and we have to put in our trust account. And then the guy was disappearing. So, you know, these brokers would present the offer. It obviously didn't get accepted. They'd try and locate him. He always gave the wrong phone number. So you couldn't locate this guy. And he was going around all over the Midwest putting these $10,000 earnest money checks down on properties that he knew he'd never get. And he knew would go into a real estate brokerage trust account. And he knew that could not be dispersed unless both parties agreed to it. Personal property, as it pertains to real estate, is there ever a divi- does the court ever decide to make the division of personal property? And when I say personal property, I'm talking about like large collections of artwork or firearms or you know trinkets and models, um, baseball cards. Are those treated the same as real estate, uh, personal property, and real estate? Typically, what the court will do, uh, in my experience, and, and personal property can be taxing, yeah. trying to divide that, and it can get emotional. I had a case years and years ago where we were in court, day of trial, arguing over life jackets. Hmm. Like, who gets life jackets? Uh, you couldn't make it up. Uh, wow. Typically, and especially in Ozaki County, the court's going to look at rummage sale value for bedroom sets, dressers, TVs. They're going to say, what can you get this at a rummage sale? Uh, if there's collectibles, if there's coins, if there's artwork, the court's going to require an appraisal. Uh, jewelry, same thing. They're going to require an appraisal. And kind of along the same thing with uh, real property, uh, they're going to go off those appraisals as far as what the value is. But uh Otherwise, what the court will do is they'll have somebody come in uh, for personal property, uh, determine the value, or they'll do a rummage sale right there and sell it, and then they'll disperse whatever the funds are left over. Typically, once the parties realize that it's going to be rummage sale value, uh, they're pretty good at getting things resolved uh, in a fashion that's reasonable. But I've seen... I've had cases where there's been pages and pages and pages of personal property. Mm. I mean, and things that you can't imagine that would be on there. Food, that expired food, toilet plungers, wow. you name it. Wow. Uh, you're, yeah. you're talking about it's, negotiating uh, <laughs> the division of expired food. Yes, Whoa. expired food. Yes, well, from the look on your face, I think I'm sensing that you, yeah. you, you enjoy uh, <laughs> helping negotiate the division of real estate more than you do... Uh, negotiating the division of personal property. And that, that's why I say I, I do I do criminal law to keep my sanity right. uh, from having to deal with family law. Right. right. <laughs> All right. So if I had to um, summarize for our listeners what to expect 
in terms of real estate. It sounds to me, if I could correct me if I'm wrong, that if a couple was married and they acquired all this real estate, the court is generally going to look at all of the real estate acquired during the period of your marriage as equal property and potentially divide that up evenly without having anything in writing prior to that. If a couple gets married and one party already had, let's just say considerable real estate, I don't know, I'm not gonna say this considerable real estate is three duplexes. So um, she already had three duplexes and then they get married and now they're getting divorced. The court is gonna look at those additional three duplexes that she brought into the marriage differently, but they could, the court could say that is all marital property depending on a number of factors, one being the length of time that they were married and probably who helped maintain them over the years and who managed them and things like that. Is that a, am I pretty close? Yeah, that's fair. You know, it depends on if there's mortgages on the properties, uh, how has the income been used? Have the parties used joint marital funds to improve the properties, mm -hmm. pay the mortgage, pay the taxes? So there's a lot of different buckets that the court's going to reach into to determine what's fair and what's reasonable. A lot of parties are going to come and say, no, this is my property. I brought this into the marriage. This is mine. Um, one part that we haven't talked about is inherited property. So if uh, one party inherits their parent's house, well, there's a presumption that inherited property is that person's personal property and that that should not be part of the divorce. Well, then you get into the problem where, let's say, they sell uh, their own residence that they had bought together during the marriage, then they take that money and they fix up that inherited property. So it can get really complex here as to what's fair, what's determined to be you know, that person's individual property, what's marital property. Uh, so it can definitely get difficult uh, for the court to figure that out and uh, for both sides to take a reasonable position on how you split that property up. Appreciate you bringing up the inherited property. Is there any other real estate aspects that um, should be considered for a couple considering going through the divorce process? Yeah, so one piece that I think that gets missed a lot is when you have a couple uh, that are going through a divorce and one party wants to keep the property. So if you go through the process, you get that appraisal. Uh, so let's say the appraisal comes out at 400000 They owe $200,000. Uh, they have that interest rate at 3% for 15 years, which they can't get today. Mm -hmm. uh, so one thing that I stress, and I, I think it gets missed quite a bit, is in that marital settlement agreement, make sure that it's put in there that so typically, the other party is going to be allowed anywhere from 60 days or more to refinance that property into their name uh, so they can buy out their spouse, buy out their equity. Uh, I always have included refinance or assume mm. the existing mortgage. That way, that party can go in and they can assume that 3% rate at 15 years. Now, the bank's don't want to see that, right? right? right. Uh, because they want to be able to charge that higher interest rate. But I've always told clients, go in there and say, hey, this is what the order says that I can assume the mortgage. And that's worked well for a lot of clients. And then I also say, if the bank says, no, we're not going to do that, then you say, well, thank you very much. I appreciate your business. I'm going somewhere else. Yeah. Well, 
I haven't had a bank that yet has said, well, goodbye. Yeah. So I think that's a critical component to any person going through a divorce is realize that you can assume that uh, liability and still uh, remove the spouse and still keep that better interest Yeah, rate. I would have never thought of that, but it makes total sense um, the way you explain it. Side note, I just got back from D.C. this week, and there was a lot of talk about what to do to fix this housing crisis. Nobody's listing their houses because they're married to their mortgage rates. They love their 2.5 or right. 2.75, so there's talk about trying to introduce legislation that would make all the Fannie and Freddie mortgages assumable. Well, then people would be more likely to say, okay, well, I'll, I'll list my house, which could be worth a ton if you had that 2.75. Not only that, but you know, you can go look for another house and assume their mortgage at 2.75. So there's some interesting things going on. That's just ideas only at this point. There hasn't been anything proposed. But yeah, those low mortgage rates, There is you just said there's value to those low mortgage rates. I mean, you have a person that's locked in at 2.75. There's value to that. And one other piece is also you see divorces, there might be someone who's a veteran. Uh, so they have those VA benefits that are included with their mortgage. Uh, the other piece that litigants should look at is the ability to possibly assume that VA loan status mm -hmm. as well uh, from the spouse, from the divorcing spouse. So there's, there, there's lots of questions uh, that should be asked at the time of divorce, especially if there is that, that VA status or the assumption status. So it's not always that, oh my goodness, rates are seven and a half percent. I'm stuck. I can't afford this house. Yeah. So ask a lot of questions. Yeah. I think I've always uh, understood that VA loans always have been assumable and that not only have they all been assumable, but it's the only thing that's been assumable. As long as I've been doing this, there haven't been any other types of assumable loans out there except for VA loans. And even with that, you have to qualify and the VA has to agree to it. And there's some stipulations as well. But you, have you participated in some assumable uh, VA loans as, as part of family law? Yeah, I have. And, and, and the person with the VA status, yes, they typically don't have a problem. But there's also a piece where potentially that the spouse that doesn't have that VA status could be able to still assume that VA loan status. Yeah. That's good to know. Well, I think we've done a good summary. We've covered a lot of topics. Anything you feel that we might have missed out on? Any questions for me or any um, any words of advice you want to give the listeners if they are considering going through this, this action? Yeah, I, I think uh, using services like, like Diddy or appraisals, uh, get an appraisal on the property. Uh, I've had many cases where the parties have felt, okay, well, we're agreeing on this price or look at the tax bill. The tax bill is not an accurate assessment, yeah. especially uh, since the pandemic here, because what's the one thing people are doing with their houses? Putting money into They're them. sticking money yep. into them. Yep. And uh, the municipalities aren't coming through and reassessing these houses. So uh, what the tax bill says and what that property is worth I think you're doing a disservice to the value of the property. You got to get an appraisal on the property uh, to see what that value is. And like you said, it, it could be three different appraisals. Uh, it's based on what that person believes it's worth. But uh, I've had cases where, you know, they thought it was worth X and then you got the appraisal and it was $100,000 more. The other thing is that, uh, as I stated, Divorces can lag on. A year ago, 
prices were different than they are now. I'm just thinking of your example of three to five years. I think the number we're using for Ozaki County for each of the last three years, it's in excess of 10%. It's it's more than 10% each of the last year. You're looking at potentially 30 plus percent from three years ago. Yeah. And, and it's extremely reasonable. The cost to get an appraisal is extremely reasonable. Uh, I've had cases where we've gotten that first appraisal, then we've updated uh, once or twice, sometimes three times, because based on comps and based on changing dynamics, and, and it's changed the prices. Right. So you spend a, you know, a couple hundred dollars to update the appraisal, and the value could go up $30,000. Right. That's a lot yeah. of money. Little tidbit, also don't rely on your Zestimate. Um, tax bill is a terrible way of valuing your property. So is his estimate. And this is a Googleable thing. You can Google how much the, the founder of Zillow sold his house for, and you'll see he sold his house for 35% below the Zestimate. <laughs> so it, yeah. can be, it can be pretty, or was it, was it a, no, it was below. That was below, um, which made more sense. But yeah, they're all over the place. Um, all right. Well, I appreciate it, Brian. You've done a great job of answering questions. I'm, like I said, I'm hoping this, this podcast can be um, narrowed down and just be a really good resource for people to get good information and then they can, you know, use that information as they say fit going from there. So why don't you tell our listeners um, if they're going to get in touch with you, how they get in touch with uh, attorney Brian Harrell? Uh, so I'm located in Grafton. Uh, my office is at 1971 Washington Street, Suite 201. I'm uh, right next to the Grafton Police Department, right across from my old alma mater, Grafton High School, uh, which is a little surreal. You can also get a hold of me. Uh, phone number is 262-377-9500. Uh, email is uh, b-h-e-r-r-o at herolawfirm.com. All right. Well, thanks again, Brian. Um, in closing, I have one little tagline that I'll continue to use, which is always use a local lender. It will make your life and your closing a lot smoother. Thanks for joining us. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening to Home Selling Hero. For more, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and connect with Tom across LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. If you have a question about selling your home or buying your next one, reach out to Tom at tom at tomdidier.com or call or text him directly at 414-881-3290. Home Selling Hero is a production of Tom Didier Real Estate in partnership with Westport Studios. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and any information presented during the course of discussion is presented as reliable under the laws of the state of Wisconsin. Be sure to consult a local agent in order for any nuances where you may live.